Luke chapter 2 for our message this morning. Let's stand, please. Luke chapter 2. Hope you're thankful for the orchestra and choir. Amen? They're a blessing to us. I thank the Lord for the many hours of, of uh, practice and rehearsal they've given. Look around you. If your neighbor next to you doesn't have a Bible, would you be kind enough to share your Bible with them and help them find their place? Luke chapter 2 this morning. And a very familiar passage of Scripture dealing with the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, or as we would call the incarnation, God manifest in the flesh. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 this morning. I'll follow as we read the Scriptures today, if you would, please. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David." to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. What you notice, verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. But in spite of that, notice verse 11, we see the announcement of the angels, and we'll conclude with this in verse 11. He said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. In verse 7, we see the delivery of a baby or an infant. But in verse 11, God draws our attention we see that what was born that day was our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you this morning with a message entitled, He was more than just a baby. Amen? More than just a baby. He is the King of glory. Now, Father, today we come with hungry hearts and a desire, Lord, to know more about you and to realize that what happened on that majestic day was that the Word became flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. The mystery of godliness was God coming into the world in the likeness of man, yet without sin. Thank you for Jesus, who is the Son of God. Thank you for Jesus, who is our Creator, Lord. Thank you for Jesus, who died on the cross for every sinner. He was the ransom price for us. He is what John calls, the Apostle John calls, the propitiation for our sins. And he became our advocate with the Father. Thank you, Christ, in all of his glory. Is Jesus Christ the righteous? And thank you, he's Jesus Christ who loves us. And Jesus Christ, who's the light of the world and the bread of life. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the one that the prophet Isaiah said, he's wonderful, he's counselor, he's the mighty God. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Everlasting Father. Thank you this morning. We get to glorify and worship you. And Lord, through the uh, story this morning, which is a very true story that happened 2,000 years ago, how God came into the world, may you speak to our hearts. May you strengthen us in the faith. May you help those who are still yet struggling about receiving Christ as Savior, that today would be the day they would trust Christ as their Savior and make this the greatest Christmas ever. Bless our time together. Bless the Word of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
This Sunday, today is our, our Christmas Sunday. It's the Sunday before Christmas. And tradition, we use this time to, uh, to celebrate and to remind ourselves of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. This coming Tuesday evening from 6.30 to 7.30, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service just to celebrate, again, the, the uh, coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're looking forward to that. And, you know, as we, we talk about Christmas, it's more than just the trees going up and the decorations and the beautiful poinsettias and, and the wonderful decor we have and the festive red that we that we wear and the parties and the eating and all those things is remembering the fact that that was God fulfilling prophecy, Jesus Christ coming to the world, God's gift to you and I. I'm reminded this morning that perhaps some of us here today are just thinking about gifts. We're probably struggling with knowing what is the right Christmas gift still to give that family member or friend we haven't given a gift to. I'm reminded of a story of a lady who told her husband she woke up a a few days, actually just a couple days before Christmas, like on the 23rd or so of December, and she said, you know, I had a dream tonight, and she said, I I just really hope this year that uh, that this year you'll give me the best Christmas gift ever. In fact, she says, I hope the Christmas gift you give me is really big. She says, I hope it's something that goes from zero to 200 in five seconds. And so he scratched his head for a little bit and wondered, man, she really wants something remarkable there. And so the husband thought about that all day and concluded what he would get for his wife. And so he kept it a secret to her until Christmas morning. And he said, okay, I have something I want you to see. And he took her downstairs to the garage. And there in the garage was this humongous box that was there. It was wrapped in Christmas wrapping, had a beautiful bow on and all that. And of course, she got excited and she jumped out there and she just tore the paper off and pulled the bow off. And then she looked inside and there was another box and then another box. She said, what is this? And it got down a little bit about this big and she unraveled it and she pulled out a weight scale and on it was a sign this goes from zero to 200 in less than five seconds now that that was not the idea of a great gift all right and I hope some of you men, if you ran out of ideas for your wife, you don't do that for your wife, okay? But uh, not the idea of a good gift or great gift this morning, but aren't you thankful today that the greatest gift ever given was our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, God's gift to you and I, the gift of love. The Bible says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Before you and I could give something to God, aren't you glad this morning that God has given to us? I want you to see some wonderful things this morning. Luke chapter 2, about the Christmas story, about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to see as we work our way through these seven verses of Scripture, that Jesus Christ, his entrance into the world was more than just a baby. Notice number one, if you're following your outline this morning, notice number one, we see the providence of God in the story. We see the providence of God. Now, providence is a word that should not scare us. Providence refers to God working behind the scenes. Providence refers to God's unseen, invisible hand accomplishing things that will glorify him. Now, as we look at this story, if you've read that, you, you, you probably have read it very quickly, and you have to read this account of the birth of Christ very slowly to understand how God is weaving pieces of prophetic history together right at that moment. Providence is God working behind the scenes. Providence is God working through situations in spite of us there. The Bible te- teaches about providence in Proverbs chapter 16. It says, it talks about, for instance, a heart, the heart of man devises his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. And reminds us sometimes we can make all the plans we want, but we might mess up and we just have to rely on God to take care of things. And we see God's hand, his invisible hand, working behind the scenes in the, in, in the arrival of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Christ. May I remind you this morning, the birth of Jesus Christ was prophesied repeatedly in the Old Testament. May I remind you this morning, his birth is referred to by the Apostle Paul as the mystery of godliness. May I remind you this morning that Galatians 4, 4 says, when Jesus came, and we find that here in Luke 2, when Jesus came, that was the fullness of time. Now, how do we see the problems of God? Well, notice we have some characters mentioned and a location mentioned. First of all, we see an honorable maiden. The Bible tells us here about Mary. The Bible says here, it speaks about Mary. Now, we saw Mary having a prominent place in Luke chapter 1 when the angel Gabriel came to her and he announced to her that she would be the means by which Jesus would come into the world. Mary would be the means of a virgin birth. A virgin birth means a human father would not be involved. A virgin birth means a woman would conceive having never known a man, having never had a physical relationship with a man. A virgin birth humanly is not possible. A virgin birth, as we see here, was God making the impossible possible. It was the supernatural of God. Mary, the Bible says here, was a spouse. Notice verse 5. She's a spouse to Joseph, okay? A spousal was like, is like equivalent to, maybe you might say, our, 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 um, uh, to our, our engagement period, but more responsibility. From a contractual standpoint, from a covenant standpoint, they were bound to each other. And they had responsibilities of marriage, but they couldn't live together until it was time for Joseph to get her because he'd prepared a home for her. And so they're going through this nine-month process having realized that she's with child with the, through the Holy Spirit. It's not Joseph's child. Joseph would not be the father. It was God who would be the father here. God touched the womb of Mary so that she can conceive. And we find Mary here just some remarkable things. Go back to chapter 1 with me for just a minute. And we notice some things here in chapter 1 as the announcement came to Mary. Uh, let's go back over here to verse uh, 26, I believe it is, when the angel Gabriel came to her. In verses 26 to 37, we have the account there of, of the angel Gabriel coming to Mary. As Mary's there, we see some things about Mary that makes her an honorable maiden. First of all, I want you to notice that Mary was just, she is a model, if you would, of someone willing to be used of God. I mean, for her to, to, be, to conceive a child without a human father, can you imagine going back to Nazareth? She's espoused to Joseph, but there those people in the little town of Nazareth would be wondering in their mind, did a scandal occur? Did something happen that, that uh, was, was not, was not uh, morally correct or whatever there? And yet she was a servant being willing to be used of God. At a time when other people just were going about their business, she sought to be used of God. She was a maiden who had faith in God's word and faith in God's promise. As the angel Gabriel speaking to her about giving birth to the Lord Jesus Christ, she would have to go a full term of nine months. And I can imagine from that very moment as the Holy Spirit touched her womb and she conceived that her faith was growing. You know, God wants you to be a person of faith. Faith begins when you hear the word of God. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God wants you and I to be people of faith because without faith, it is impossible to please God. God wants us to walk in faith. God wants us to live in faith. The Bible says that the just shall live by faith. If you've recently trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're just kind of taking some baby steps along the way, trying to do the right thing, just trying to worship God in church, trying to understand how to read the Bible and all those things. Let me tell you, those are steps of faith, and God honors faith. Faith honors God, and God honors faith. And so Mary, is a, she's, a, she's a maiden who had faith. But she's also a maiden who bade the Lord. God came to her through the angel gave. Gabriel's name means the man of God. Every Sunday, every time we come to the pulpit, God's man comes to the pulpit and preaches the word of God to us. And as we get the word of God, we realize there's some things God conveys us through his word that are commandments, and we must follow through with that. Now, Mary had a choice here. Mary could have told God, well, God, I really don't want to bear this baby. 
uh, God, I don't, I don't really think it's a good idea that, as a, that, that, that virgin birth occurs. I'm not really sure I want to do this on my own. I'm not really sure I want to be a servant of God. But Mary didn't do that. If you look at verses 26 to 37, there's no pushback. There's no disobedience. There's no rebellion on her part. Everything about Mary is basically saying, Lord, I'm willing to be used of you. And her only question was, look at chapter 1 here. Her only question she had was, was, was over here in, in verse 34. Then said Mary to the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not? a man. She just had one question. She said, okay, I'm on board with what you want, what you have in mind. I don't know if I really understand it, Lord. But she says this one question. How can this be possible, seeing I've not had a relationship with a man? And God answered her according to his word. And the angel said unto her in verse 35, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And there God made known to her that Jesus would enter the world through her. We see a honorable maiden. Are you someone God can use? Are you willing to be used of God? Are you willing for God to do something extreme through your life? Are you someone that God can do the impossible through? Because God did the impossible through this honorable maiden. But we see something else here. We not only see an honorable maiden, but go back to chapter 2. We see someone who has an honorable mention. And we see not only Mary here, but we see Joseph. Joseph has an honorable mention. Now when you look at Joseph, how he figures in this whole story, it's kind of interesting. He's betrothed to Mary. He has leadership responsibilities to be her husband, but he's not going to be the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, if anything, in terms of Jesus being in that household, Joseph really had a secondary role. Now, I don't know about you men here, but, you know, it, maybe for some of us, we would probably think, well, my wife's probably lying to me. She's not really telling me the truth. And we probably would have been very disappointed, and our trust would have been broken in her. And, and you know, Joseph was at that level. You read about that in Matthew chapter 1. The Bible says he contemplated about Mary's announcement that she had conceived. And he's thinking in his heart of hearts, how could she have done this to me? I mean, who, who did she commit this grievous thing with? And then the angel of God, at a time when Joseph was at the lowest point of his life. And by the way, you pray for some of our families in church this morning. Terry Sue just announced to me, uh, sent me a message yesterday that the night before, the day before, that her precious grandmother, who's been in our church many, many times, heard the gospel many times, their precious grandmother passed away from this life. And from her, her, her t- grandmother's own testimony to my wife, she said, well, I've received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And we grieve with the Sang family during this time. And I think about the Chan family this morning. For You'll pray for the, uh, the Jamin Chan and for his brother Joel and for Joel's wife Rachel. You pray for them and Tiffany and for Edna right now. Jamin is really struggling through this, this cancer that he's had for two years now, and it's just a very, very trying situation for them, and others in our church family, for Anna Lopez, who, whose husband recently went home to be with the Lord, and yesterday they celebrated his birthday there, just remembering that at the gravesite. You know, sometimes for some of us, for some people, Christmas is a very hard and difficult time, because perhaps there's been a difficulty trial they went through. And you know, Joseph was experiencing that trial. He was at the lowest point of his life. There were dark clouds over, his, over him, wondering what to do. And listen, at the right moment, God came to him. Now, as God came to him, he announced to him, and told him all the sequence of events and what would happen. He said, Joseph, all I want you to do is you take Mary, your wife, and he says, you're not to know her, you're not to have a relation with her till that baby's born, and then you'll consummate that betrothal process. You'll, you'll consecrate the espousal process at that time. But until such time, I just want you to be a good husband to Mary. Can I tell you something this morning? As we go through Christmas, I think about the fact we can just be good spouses and good people to each other. Amen. You can be kind to people. If there's ever a time we need to be kind and nice, and we need to be conscientious, to be courageous, 
courteous to one another. We should honestly do that during Christmas time, to reach out and be a blessing to other people. And you notice Joseph here, he had an honorable mention. You say, Pastor Fong, why do you say does he have an honorable mention? Well, I see some things about Joseph here. Joseph didn't, was a man of very few words. There wasn't many things that Joseph said, but we see something. Joseph was an obedient servant. He did what the Lord told him to do. He was a good protector at that time. He was a man of faith. He had faith in God's word, just like Mary. He took care of Mary. He decided to be <laughs> a role model in his home. And I want you to imagine with me, the faith that Mary and Joseph had when Jesus was born in that family. Can you imagine that they, they, they were at their utmost best every single day of their life because they had faith that that was more than just a baby. That was God's precious son. That was the creator of all the universe that was in their home. I wonder how many of us this morning, Jesus is invited into our homes, that Jesus is prominent or even preeminent in our homes. I wonder how many of us that we live our life at home different than we live our life at church. I wonder if we're like Mary and we could be like Mary and Joseph and so say, you know what? Jesus is here and we need to do our best to have a home that glorifies Jesus Christ. Christ. Joseph was a model of meekness and service. You know, meekness is something that's very hard for us to do. We live in this day and age, this MMA mage, I can say here, where we have to have this machoism and this boldness and this courage and get in people's faces about things. But Joseph is a model of meekness. He had a servant's heart. Instead of being someone boisterous, instead of being someone contentious, he came with a teachable spirit and a teachable heart. Let me tell you this morning, we come to church to honor the Lord. Amen. We come to glorify God in spirit and in truth. We don't come to church to find fault with the preacher. We don't come to church to find fault with the Word of God. And we don't come to church to say, to find a, something we can undermine. We come to with a teachable spirit and heart that God can speak to us. And Joseph is a model of a good husband. Even though he had to have a secondary role, if I can say that, in terms of Jesus' presence in his home, he was a model husband. And he was a model man in that home. Would you be willing to be a servant to others? Are you someone that God can use in a great way just by having a servant's heart? We see an honorable maiden. We see the honorable mention being Joseph. But Notice something else. Go back with me in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, you'll notice here, as we look at the providence of God, God, you, God worked in a behind-the-scenes way in using an obscure woman. And God worked behind the scenes in using an obscure man. But God used work behind the scenes and bringing all this together and fulfilling prophecy through a little obscure city. And would you notice what God did here? The Bible says that he used the king at that time, Caesar Augustus. Because remember, this was the, this was the time of the great Roman Empire. And Caesar Augustus decreed at that time of the year, right around the third trimester or so of Mary... And it tells us that to validate that, that in the country of Syria, Serenius was the governor or the head, that he decreed, if you would call this, a census taken. The Bible calls this a time of being taxed. Now, the Roman, the Roman Empire, the Roman king, he wanted to know exactly where all the subjects of his kingdom lived. He wanted to know where they're at. And so this decree he put out was a commandment, basically saying you had to go back to where your birth town was or where you could trace your ancestry. You're to go back there and to register. We want to make sure we have an account of everyone. It was a census taking, mainly because they wanted to be able to tax everyone adequately. They wanted to know where everyone was at so nobody could evade being taxed there. But they wanted to know from a census standpoint where everyone was at. And so through this decree, Joseph and Mary had to find their way back to the city of Bethlehem. Now when you read Luke Matthew chapter 1, Joseph could trace his roots uh, from, a, from an ancestry standpoint back to King David. And of course King David could trace his roots back to Abraham. We see the Hebrew lineage and the kingly lineage there in Matthew chapter 1. So Joseph knew enough of 
about his ancestry. He knew enough about the, the, the men that were preceded him in, in his lineage that he went back to the city of Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem was known as the city of David back in the day. Bethlehem is where Samuel found David and his father Jesse. And as we were sharing in our class this morning, Bethlehem and the hillsides of Bethlehem were, were pasture land where they, where they would have sheep. And, uh, and David was a shepherd and took care of sheep. But the name Bethlehem is very significant because Bethlehem means the city, uh, means the house of God and bread. It was the place it had symbolically represented God taking care of his people. It was there David was anointed to be the king of over Israel as a young boy. It was there we have the humble beginnings of David. And so David, David, if you would, God had already prophesied in the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, that Jesus would come from, from, from Bethlehem. I quoted that earlier, but notice in your notes or in your passage of Scripture this morning. In Micah 5, 2, it says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Now notice our passage, if you would, in verse 4, in Luke chapter 2, verse 4. Keep your finger in Micah 5, 2. Mary is great with child. I mean, she is, when it says great with child, she's ready to give birth. I mean, she's just feeling every step she takes is very, very difficult for her. And she's just anxious that moment to give birth to the baby. They're over in the city of Nazareth. That was where they were living. Nazareth was many, many miles away from Bethlehem. Even if she wasn't pregnant, it was still quite a journey to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And on top of that, now you, you find that they're, they're Nazareth. And of course, if you're humanly speaking, they're probably thinking, we're getting ready to give birth to the baby, but God had to use a census pronounced to the king to drive them from Nazareth over there to Bethlehem. Now, was, was Joseph and Mary oblivious to Micah 5.2? Maybe not. I don't think they were, but God had to use a situation to stir things up to make sure they got to Bethlehem so that the prophecy of God's word would be fulfilled. If you want one of the evidences that God's word, that the Bible is God's word, you've got to go back and trace all of the prophecies about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ and about his eventual death and his resurrection. And all of these things, his birth, death, and resurrection, are all prophesied in the Old Testament, and we find them being fulfilled in the New Testament. When you trace every prophecy about the birth of Jesus Christ, every one to the dotting of the I, to the crossing of the T, were fulfilled completely by our Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, well, how does God work through this? Well, I'm reminded in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, it tells us something very powerful about the providence of God. It says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. And it doesn't matter how, par how powerful a king may be, or president may be, or prime minister might be, whoever it may be, God can overturn things. And as we read through the Bible, God works through world powers. God can accomplish his purpose to glorify him. There is no power on earth that is greater than our God. Amen? And we see the power of God actively and yet mysteriously at work through Caesar Augustus' decree in driving Joseph and Mary in spite of the hardship of making that journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem all the way there to Bethlehem. Notice verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David which is called Bethlehem. Now, why is this important? Well, we see an honorable municipality. God pronounces this city, this municipality, 
This city called Bethlehem would be the birth, the birthplace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says that Bethlehem is little among the thousands. It was an obscure city. Can I tell you something? God uses little things. God uses little obscure things to accomplish his purpose. He used a little lad who had five loaves and two fishes to feed a multitude. He used a poor widow woman who all she had was a handful of meal. And the Bible says a little container of oil. It's called a cruise of oil. And she made a little cake. And yet God said to that little cake, that she made, just like a little donut, if you would. She, she sustained herself, her son, and the prophet Elijah for many days. God uses little things. You may say this during this Christmas time, I, how can God use me? I'm just nobody. I mean, I'm new to the faith, and I, I don't know the Bible, and I, I don't know all these things, and, and I just feel so inadequate and so small. Can I remind you today? God uses you, and God wants to use you. Even if you have little faith, God can use you. God uses little things. I want to encourage you this morning, don't think because you can't play the violin or you can't play the piano or you can't sing tenor or you can't sing an alto that God can't use you. God can use everyone here today. And if God would use this little city, God can use you. God pays careful attention to the details. God takes good care of us even when it seems hard and difficult. It was hard for Joseph and Mary to make their journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, but God took care of them. God made sure that she wasn't going to deliver them. God's hand was over her. The same hand that enabled her to conceive was the same hand that cared for her. Maybe this morning you're somebody, you're worrying, and you're fretting, and you're anxious, and you just got so many problems and difficulties, can I tell you what? The God who brought Jesus in this world is the same God who can take care of your problems. He comes to you and says, he says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Would you this Christmas let God love you? Well, would you this Christmas let God care for you? Would you this Christmas let God show himself strong on your behalf? We see the providence of God. But notice very quickly this morning, we need to move on. I want to notice the second thing. Notice in verse 7. We not only see, not only see the the providence of God. But notice the portal of entry. We see the means or the entry by which Jesus Christ came into this world. We see again, he was more than just a baby. We see the providence and we see the portal. Notice verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, if you read that very quickly, you're going to miss a, just a lot, a lot of just Bible there that, is, that teaches us many things. Mary was great with child. She's feeling it at that moment. She's, man, I'm about to give birth. And they've arrived at Bethlehem, and they've found their way around there. They have registered so that they're legal and compliant with, with, the, with the Roman government. And she's telling, she, you can imagine in your heart of hearts, she nudges Joseph, Joseph, um, the baby's going to come. The baby's going to come, and we've got to go somewhere. And you can imagine that they're frantic at that moment. They probably only bought enough supplies, maybe just to get them through for a couple of days. Or maybe even in their heart of hearts, they may have even thought, well, you know, let's just plan that we'll register, and then we'll try to make our way back to Nazareth so you can give birth there. But they just came prepared just in case, just a little bit of preparation. And bear in mind, this was a very poor couple. They came out of Nazareth. The Bible asked the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth is a poor, poverty-stricken town. Nobody famous came out of Nazareth. I mean, it was just, it was just a, one of those cities that nothing great ever happened with that city. And you can imagine, they're probably like a lot of us. We thought, well, let's just make our way there, and uh, maybe we'll get back. We, could, we have... Well, Maybe you know, the Lord will keep you from delivering so we could, you could deliver back to Nazareth and, and the comfort of our home and all that. But that wasn't going to happen. She's down in Bethlehem. She's not in a familiar town. She didn't grow up in that town. They didn't have a home there. We're not told they had any relatives there. They had nowhere to go. And you can imagine here, here's Mary, and she has to give birth to the baby Jesus. And the Bible here in verse 7 takes a microscope 
And it takes this microscope or spotlight and it puts it right on the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, God helps us understand in living color what happens here at the birth of Jesus Christ. Now I want to tell you this morning, she wasn't born in the maternity ward of Alta Bates Summit Hospital. And she wasn't born in the maternity ward of Kaiser Hospital San Leandro. And she wasn't born in the maternity ward of Stanford Health Center here over here in Palo Alto. She was born in a little stinking a manger, if you would, a cave stall for animals there. And as we see this situation, you can imagine, this is the king of glory. This is Jesus Christ making his grand entrance into the world, but it's not a grand entrance that he comes in. In fact, the rest of the world doesn't have a clue or idea that he's even born. And I want you to take with me a moment to look with a microscope and with a spotlight to seeing this portal of entry by which Jesus came. Notice in verse 7, we see the privation of his entry. The Bible says she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Now the word privation basically means the poverty, the economic hardship, the lack of resources, the difficulty. I want you to notice that as he was born, as she gave birth, the only place she could give birth in was in a cave stall. Now I'll say more about this in a minute, but the only hostel they had in town had no vacancies. She had nowhere to go. And they had to find a place quickly. The contractions were coming on strong. She knows that the baby's coming. And Joseph had to think quickly, and I believe the Holy Spirit of God was working his mind. And the only thing they could think of, well, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a place, maybe the, we can make the most, there's a cave stall over here. And they put their animals in there at night to keep it out of the cold. And we can take some hay that they use to feed the animals with. And Mary, if you're okay with this, I, I can make a bed out of that hay and we can put some privacy there. I can put some blankets up and we can hide behind some, some wooden barriers there and you can, give, you can give birth to the baby. And I want you to imagine that Mary's going through the full travail that a mother goes through in this maternity birth there. And she gives birth to the baby there in a cave stall. But notice in verse 7, the Bible says something very interesting. As the baby's born, I imagine that she caressed and held the little baby to her chest as a, as a, as a mother. Would. There's this maternal effect that's going on. But they realized that before, before much time went by, it was a cold winter night. And they realized that if they're, if they're going to take care of this baby, they've got they've to get the baby some warm clothing. And in those days, if you didn't have proper attire, what poor people did, they would take strips of cloth. They call it swaddling clothes. They would take long strips of cloth that was unused. And they would take this cloth and carefully they would wrap, wrap arm the arms up and then the hands up and then the legs up and they would wrap the baby very tightly in these swaddling clothes and these pieces of cloth to keep the baby contained and warm so the baby's body warm would protect the baby. I want you to understand that he did, they didn't have a baby shower where all these gifts would be given to them and she didn't have a onesie that she could put the child in and she didn't have any pampers that she could put the baby in. Listen, she wrapped the little baby Jesus in swaddling clothes. I want you to imagine with me, here's the king of heaven coming down who should come in robes of glory. He could have come in robes of glory, and he could have come in kingly attire. He didn't come that way. He came in poverty and privation, being wrapped in swaddling clothes, being placed in a, in a manger, if you would, in a horse trough. Look at it again. The Bible says she laid him in a manger. 
The mangers, we think about it, we think of a little crib there, but it wasn't a crib. But, but brother and sister in Christ, it was more than just a crib. It was a horse trough. It was a simple horse trough. It was a, it was a, it was a container where horses and animals drank out of or they ate out of. So you can imagine that there's bacteria and there's filth and there's all kinds of other things there. And then during that time, Joseph had to do the most that he could in cleaning out that trough. He had to get whatever was in there out of there and clean it the best he could and lay, lay some hay in there. And there, that little baby, Baby Jesus, wrapped in swaddling clothes, would be laid there in a manger so that he could sleep. I want you to understand this morning, our Savior, who is the King of glory, came in privation. He came in poverty. The Bible describes how he humbled himself, and he came in just a poverty-stricken situation. We see the privation. But notice in verse 7, we see something else that grips our heart. We see not only the privation, but what you notice in the latter part of verse 7, we see a preclusion. We see a preclusion. The Bible says, she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now, I don't know about you, but that grips my heart. Here is a woman that very evidently from her physical appearance, she's ready to give birth. She is great with child. And you would imagine that perhaps somebody there in Bethlehem would have had enough pity. Perhaps even the hotel manager, they would have had enough pity and concern and realized this babe, this woman's about to give birth. And what a cruel thing to have this woman give birth out on the street. And what a cruel thing to say, sorry, all of our rooms are taken and we have no room for you in the end. Maybe they had no room for them because they, they didn't have money. But most likely they didn't have room for them because every room was was occupied. Nobody volunteered a room. Nobody volunteered a space. Nobody volunteered a bed for our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the Savior of all the world coming to the world, who in his providence made possible that they would get to Bethlehem. But there we see that there was no room prepared. Nobody had room for Jesus there on that day. But just as there was no room in the inn, I wonder how many people have no room for Jesus in their lives. They have no room for Jesus in their schedule. They have no room for Jesus in their daily devotions. They have no room for Jesus in their life planning, their life priorities. They have no room for Jesus in making time to worship him or to serve him. They have no room for Jesus and participating in acts of worship and sacrifice and things like that. I mean, the Bible says there's no room in the end, but I wonder for how many of us there's no room in our lives for Jesus Christ. We see the preclusion, but you notice something else here. Yes, we see the privation. He was born in a cave stall. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. He was laid in a manger. We see the preclusion. There was no room for them in the end, but I want you to see something bigger than all that. Because if we miss this, we miss the fact who came into the world, whose day that was. Whose day we celebrate on Wednesday, which you notice the preeminence in verse 7. The Bible says, and she brought forth her firstborn son. Preeminence means that preeminence means that which is the head, that which is first, that which is of highest order, that which is of highest priority. The Apostle Paul wrote about the preeminence of Jesus Christ being head and first and highest of order in Colossians chapter one, verses fifteen to eighteen. If you have your notes, so you might want to look at that. 
It speaks of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. I want to park there for just a minute. Yes, there was Caesar Augustus who was on the throne of Rome. And yes, there was Cyrenius who was the governor of Syria. And there were other world powers that were going on. But I want you to understand that as while their lives were going on, at that instant while Jesus was born into this world and was laid in a manger, the greatest king of all eternity, the greatest king of past, the greatest king of the present, the greatest king the future. The greatest king, Jesus Christ, was born at that moment. He deserves all of our preeminence. He deserves the honor and glory. And the Bible says in verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. In spite of the humbling conditions by which he entered the world, it did not change who Jesus Christ was. He was still the God of gods when he came. He was still the Lord of lords when he came. He was still the most high God when he came. He was still the one who made the universe when he came. He's still preeminent. I remind you this morning, firstborn means Jesus Christ is first no matter what. Amen? And so this morning we look at this and we consider the portal, the entry. Sometimes we have hard circumstances. It might be failing health. And it might be the passing of a loved one. It might be the loss of a job or whatever it may be. I remind you today, we, we, we just have to understand that sometimes we have hardships and difficulties. We must let the preeminence of Jesus Christ work in our lives. Let him show himself strong on your behalf and mine. But one last thing I want you to see this morning. We see the providence of God. We see the portal of entry. But most important in this passage of Scripture as we close this morning, would you see the person of Jesus Christ? The thing we don't want to overlook this morning is that Christmas is about Jesus Christ. The birth of Jesus brought the Son of God into this world. I reminded the story this morning of a little girl who was at her grandfather's house. The grandfather was not a believer. In fact, he was some of a cynic. He was very cynical of his granddaughter's faith and his daughter's faith and, and his son-in-law's faith. And he always would take a moment to just say something very cynical, very sarcastic about their faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, some, the, the daughter, would, she left a lot of her, her child's, her daughter's toys there sometimes. So if she dropped her, her daughter off there, the granddaughter off there for the grandfather to babysit that she could play and amuse herself. And one particular morning, the daughter calls to dad, can I drop little Susie off here at the house for her? to play, play a little bit there. Can you watch her for a minute so I can run some errands? And the grandfather said, sure, I can take care of her. And, and so he thought for a minute. He says, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna mess with the little girl's head. And she had some building blocks that were there, some alphabet blocks, and you know, like little kids have. And so he thought, you know what? I've been, I've been talking to her about sentences and words. And so he took, he took those building, those alphabet blocks and he made a word on it. He made a sentence out of it. And when the little girl came in, she got all settled. She gave her grandfather a hug. And again, as I mentioned, this man was very cynical. He turned to her and said, hey, granddaughter, I want Susie. I want you to come over here to this, your little playroom. He said, I took your alphabet blocks and I made a sentence out of it. And he says, look at here. I want to prove something here. That sentence says, God is nowhere. I want you to understand that God is nowhere. And little Susie looked at that and she just had just started learning the alphabet a little bit and understanding some things and, and the words there. And she looked very carefully at the words and she went over those, those little alphabet blocks and she separated the W from the H and she said, Grandfather, I just fixed the sentence. It doesn't say God is nowhere. It says God is now here. And I remind you this morning, God was now here when Jesus came in the world. God is now here. 
God is now here in our presence. God is now here in our world. And God is now here. And even though the dignitaries and the royalties did not acknowledge Jesus Christ, let me tell you, all of heaven acknowledged who Jesus Christ is. And even though the Caesars did not acknowledge him, and even though the people in Bethlehem could not even give them a room, I would tell you today that Jesus is not at the end of the story, and Jesus is not forgotten, because he still is going to get the glory no matter what here. And so would you notice some things that this, Bible, that this passage of Scripture teaches us, that God is now here, and that Jesus Christ is to be exalted. You see, when Jesus Christ came, it was Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh. And even though you might just see the cave stall, and even though you might see the hay, and even though you might just see the animals there, and even though you might just see a very gloomy situation, I remind you this, this morning, we've got to get our eyes off the distractions, and get our eyes off the cave, and get our eyes off the hay, and get our eyes off the animals, and get our eyes off the horse trough, and be like the Apostle Paul says, but we see Jesus. This Christmas time, don't get obscured or blindsided by just the presence, whether you're happy with them or not happy with them, or don't get blindsided if your Christmas turns out to just not be what you thought it would be, and don't get blindsided perhaps if you get hurt during this Christmas time. Look for Jesus Christ. Paul said this, but we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the purpose of suffering, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And I want to tell you today, let's get our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's see Jesus. Yes, he was a baby, but he's still the Son of God. I want to tell you this morning, it's very easy for everyone to forget that Jesus Christ has come to the world. It's very easy for everyone to see the cave he was born in and not see the Christ. It's very easy for everyone to see the stable he was placed in and not see the Savior. It's very easy for everyone to see the infant and not the incarnation. It's very easy for everyone to see the materialism and yet not the Messiah. This morning, let's see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the purpose of suffering, yet crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Would you notice this morning, as we look at this very quickly, how this all pulls together as we see the person of Jesus Christ. What does it teach us we should do? Well, would you notice with me in verses 9 to 14 very quickly? We won't have time to read all of that. But in verses 9 to 14, we see the beatitude of honor. Now, nobody else came to honor Jesus at that moment. But listen, the angels of heaven came down. In fact, the angels of heaven, God had already given them a, a trailer. God had already told them, hey, Jesus, is uh, the Son of God, is going to be born. And the angels, I imagine, in heaven who celebrated Christ when in, in, in eternity passed up there in heaven. I believe inside my heart they couldn't wait to come and celebrate Christ. I, don't, I, I think they couldn't wait to just... It just exalt him. And as soon as Jesus was born, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord in verse 9 came to shepherds that were watching, that were abiding in the field and watching over their flock by night. This angel came to them and announced them that the Lord had come. And what you notice in verse 10, he says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Now those men were scared back in those days. And I think even today, if you saw an angel, you'd be very scared. You'd be wondering, okay, did I do something so bad that God wants to take my life right now? And the Bible says he gave them a word of encouragement. He said, fear not, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Jesus' birth is not exclusive just to the Christian faith. Jesus' birth is open to everybody. It's a joy to all people. And the Bible says that they made the announcement to them of where to find Christ and that he, that he was born and he's the Savior of the world. Here's what happens in verse 13. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. There's the 
beatitude of honor. We see that an angelic host came down and they were praising God and giving glory to God. You know, I'm looking forward to tonight and Tuesday night as we take a few moments before Christmas, just a small amount of time compared to all the time we'll spend at Christmas, just to sing hymns and to exalt our Lord Jesus Christ and to be like these angels who glorified God and praise him. I, I love that song the choir sang today. Oh, come, let us adore him. And we need to adore Jesus Christ the Lord. Don't miss, Christ, don't miss giving Jesus the honor, the praise, and the glory. We see the beatitude of honor. So these shepherds came, and they gave him honor. But notice the second thing. They were given an announcement where they would find the baby. And the, and the angel trusted them with this message. And so, of all people, he could have come to any group of people. He came to shepherds. And these shepherds, if you would, they symbolically picture the message of God or the messengers of God who bring God's word there. And what you notice here in verses 15 to 18, we not only see this beatitude of honor, but in verses 15 to 18, we see as, as God's people, just as these shepherds, we're to have boldness as heralds. We're to have boldness as heralds because these men were not content with just hearing about it. They wanted to see it. And so these men, they made their way down from the Bethlehem hillsides, and they found this cave stall where Joseph and Mary were at. And the, they said to one another in verse 15, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. They said, this is incredible. We've got to see for ourselves firsthand. We've got to see with our eyes this Christ child that was born. And they went there. And the Bible says they came with haste in verse 16, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, the Bible says they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. These men were supposed to be watching their sheep, but they got a higher calling of God. And there in the middle of the night, they went out and they blazed abroad through the city of Bethlehem and maybe outside there and maybe to the Bethlehem hillside to other shepherds then telling other people, we have seen him who is Christ the Lord. We have seen Jesus Christ. We have seen the one who is born in the city of David, a savior. They, they just proclaimed that Jesus Christ had come. You see, a, a herald is someone who makes an announcement. A herald is a witness. A herald is someone who does uh, the work of evangelism. A herald is what we call around our circles here, a soul winner, someone who declares the message of Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you these next few days well, before Christmas comes and even after Christmas comes to take a gospel track with you and be a herald of the grace of God and telling others about Jesus and letting them know, listen, Christmas is more than just a present, the material. Christmas is the fact that God was manifest in flesh. And he came for one reason, to take your place and mine on the cross of Calvary. We see the person of Jesus Christ in, his, in these heralds. But notice one last thing in verse 11. As we close this up and wrap it up this morning. We see the beatitude of honor. We're to honor our Lord and worship him. We see our boldness as heralds. But verse 11 tells us is an invitation. It's a beckon for heaven. It's a beckon. It's an invitation for heaven. And the angel said this, for unto you, I want you to personalize this morning, Christmas is for you. Christmas is for you. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. When he made that announcement, he was telling them that the grace of God has come in human flesh. Because as we try to describe and understand the Lord Jesus Christ, 
we must understand that Jesus embodies everything about the grace of God. The grace of God is love we don't deserve. The grace of God is described like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It's not in your notes, but listen very carefully. The apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, he said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. In Galatians 4, he says, And when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Did you fathom that this morning? It is not the mystery of God coming in the flesh to a baby. It's more than that. Christ entered our world. He took upon him human flesh, yet without sin. To take your place and mine, to be your sacrifice and your substitute, die on the cross for your sins so that you can be saved and heaven can be your home. Last this past weekend was such a wonderful weekend. As a church, we got to serve our church and the communities at large with people coming as far as Pittsburgh, Petaluma, Santa Rosa, deep in the South Bay, Daly City, San Francisco, Mountain House, from all over the Bay Area, our Christmas musical was hosted Saturday and Sunday. We're very thankful for many, many people who trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. By faith, they realized he was more than just a baby and received him as Savior. There's so many stories I could tell you, but I'm thinking of one of a precious lady who's been in our church for just a little bit less than two years who was here with her husband, sitting right here near the front. When I gave the invitation Sunday night, the very first hand was raised was this woman's husband who raised his hand. He wanted to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. There's such tears of joy because he realized he needed to be saved. He'd heard the gospel many, many times, but on Sunday night, he realized, I've got to make it real. I've got to take the Son of God to be my Savior. And that morning, that evening, he was born into the family of God. You see, Jesus Christ tasted death. He came to this world to taste death for you and I, for every man. He died for your sins. He took your place so that you can have eternal life. And this morning, he offers to you that wonderful gift of eternal life. Because if we just stop at just the birth of Christ and don't realize why he came in the world and what he, what he fulfilled for us, we've missed the message there. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the purpose of suffering, that he might be crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for your sins. He took the wrath of God upon him so that you could be saved from your sins. Our, our sin debt that we owe God, which is more than we can pay for, more than the good works we can work out, he paid the sin debt in full when he died on the cross. And he offers to you and I the free gift of eternal life. You can be saved this morning. Eternal life can be yours. You can make sure that heaven's your home. You can make sure today that you have the best Christmas ever. The greatest Christmas gift is receiving Jesus Christ as your, per, as your personal Savior because Jesus is that good gift and that perfect gift which came down from above. Won't you accept Jesus today? Won't you be saved and trust him as your Savior? Won't you make today your second birthday? Why don't you make today the day that you get Christ in your heart and you can say, I've been born again. 